As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support from people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. industries. Listen, we, I was listening to that Patreon entrance right there and it was talking about how we're family men and stuff. And I, all I could think about was our topic of conversation before we started the show. Which you only get if you're a Patreon member. That's right. And it, but I what, just, what were you gonna it say? didn't, it didn't line up real well. Right? <laughs> <laughs> to just go from what we were watching and talking about to like, we're family men and we appreciate your support. I was like, man, that was. Well, no, I that guess, mean that listen, I guess it could that, that, link. I mean, it was about you know, there was a very there was a very professional person that was you know making sure that we would be all be of the same family that was part of their job right <laughs> to kind of keep was... everything jay pink said listen. horses make families too <laughs> they do yes <laughs> they sure do they do that the people that title. don't <laughs> people that don't know what we were just talking about leading into this are going to be like these guys what say and the answer is yes, we, we might be. But uh no, hey, listen. Uh we keep it light. We 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 try to explore all the uh intricacies and the vulgarities of life and try to make sense of them, right, guys? Like there's certain things in life that people just pass by and don't ever try to take the time to appreciate or understand or look at and shake their head and be like, My God, why are you the way that you are? And uh we're here to do all of those things. All of those things. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I, I did a lot of growing up in the pre-show today. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if I was prepared for the amount of aging that I just took on. I was. Um, you, there, there should be a, uh, if nothing else, you know, no audio. At least the uh, video of our faces reacting to what was shared with mm -hmm. us. That would be, that would be a good uh, content piece. To ship out to everybody because that was uh it was interesting something i hadn't Speaking, seen uh i had my typical segue there of uh speaking of doing a lot of growing up in a short amount of time gentlemen let's check out this week's headlines Um, this is perfect fodder for my 2 a.m. Twitter rants, uh, because it starts <laughs> like this. Too much manure and fertilizer is being spread in some areas at the expense of water quality. Who would have thunk it? 
Who would have thunk it? I mean, listen, I've been going about this for a long time, and the only thing I hear is that we need more organic matter. Why can't we just use manure? More manure, more organic matter, more compost. You can't go wrong with it. Rebuild the soils, improve your soils, work on your soils, fix your soils, modify your soils, mend your soils, soil, 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 organic, 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 fix it, synthetic, uh, chemical, uh, conventional, bad. Well, it turns out, believe it or not, too much of damn near anything is also a bad thing. A new report from environmental groups says too much manure and fertilizer is being spread on fertilizer to grow crops in some Wisconsin counties, polluting nearby waters. Midwest Environmental Advocates and Environmental Working Group, the EWG, which, by the way, is one of the most in-fucking-sane groups in all of America. The EWG, oh, my Lord, have mercy. So do you all remember the story of... uh, they put out the the piece that said there is glyphosate in your children's cereal. Do you right. remember this? I remember oh. that quite well. I remember that so, extremely well. <laughs> it was all over the internet, and what they determined was they took the EPA uh, 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 recommendations as far as what was an acceptable level of um, glyphosate in a in a harvested crop, right? And then they drew down their own uh, level of what that was. So basically, they adjusted it from uh, parts per million down to a fraction of a part per billion. So it was a thousand times more stringent than what the EPA put forth. And they said that yeah. is the only qualification for what would be considered uh, safe, would be a thousand times less than what the EPA says is safe. Hmm. And published it as if it was some groundbreaking uh, investigative journalism that they conducted when in reality it wasn't. And then you know what they did after that? They went to all these organic producers and they were like, if you want to be one of our featured people, you could pay us 15 grand a month and we'll put you at the top of our website. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The EWG is is just the, the pinnacle of insanity. I mean, it is like. You, t- you take everything that is a joke about clown world today and roll it all into one, run it through a granulator <laughs> system, and out comes EWG on the other side. Uh, on so a mirror, snort. Yes. Chunks of it just all in your sinuses, <laughs> walking into your brain and, and stomping mud holes in it. Um. The EWG and the Midwest Environmental Advocates uh, have analyzed manure and fertilizer application rates in nine counties last year to understand how nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus are being spread on fields. The nutrients are important for growing crops, but excessive amounts can harm water quality when nutrients seep into groundwater or washing in nearby waterways. The group examined counties with known groundwater issues or pollution stemming from nitrates and bacteria that include Kiwanee County, as well as counties in the Central Sands regions in south, uh, southwestern Wisconsin. The report found nitrogen from manure and fertilizer exceeded rates recommended by the University of Washington scientists in eight of the nine counties. In four counties, nitrogen from two sources went more than 50% beyond proposed rates, including Kiwanee County, where it was applied at nearly double recommended levels. Residents there have long struggled with nitrate contamination of private wells. The aggregation of nutrients is likely leading to both groundwater contamination and surface water contamination. 
Uh, and then they list out uh, percent in recommendation met by manure applied, percent in recommended uh, met by fertilizer sold, and blah, 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 blah. Total in overload. So I, I, I don't understand this right now as far as w- what this chart says. I've, I've got to do a little bit more mining into this. Uh, phosphorus in manure and fertilizer also surpassed the suggested rate in Kiwani, Adams, and Port, Port, Portage, Portage counties. According to the report, more than 1,500 miles of streams and rivers along 33 lakes are listed by the state as impaired across nine counties. The groups contend that's due in large part to pollution from manure and fertilizer. To arrive at their foundings, the report authors used satellite images to map nearly 90,000 farm fields to determine where and how many nutrients were likely to be spread from manure produced by 1,901 livestock farms that were identified. The amount of nutrients from manure in those counties were combined with an estimated amount of nitrogen and phosphorus and fertilizer sold. Sales were based on state figures that were divided up using county-level data from National Agricultural Statistics. Nearly 20,000 tons of nitrogen, 17,000 tons of phosphorus uh, are produced by the farms across nine counties each year, according to the report. Meanwhile, fertilizer sales have grown statewide from 161,000 tons to 345,000 tons. So it goes on and on and on, and but... Uh, and I'll finish this out here. Around 90% of nitrogen and groundwater can be traced back to agriculture. Dairy and environmental groups have urged lawmakers to provide funding to support farms and protecting drinking water. They've lobbied for increased funding for county conservation staff and cost share assistance for conservation practices that reduce runoff. They're also backing bills that would help people address nitrate contaminated wells and help aid farmers optimizing the use of nitrogen fertilizer on their land. Okay. <clears throat> All of that to say is, they're using data for fertilizer sold and approximated manure produced from livestock and assuming all that manure produced is going on the fields in combination with the fertilizer that's sold on a county basis. So it wasn't necessarily that they were out there testing all the individual waterways and trace uh, applying some sort of traceability standard to figure out where it was going. They were trying to back into this through uh, uh, sales, right? So not exactly the most reliable way to prove your hypothesis, in my opinion. Um, and it's not to say that there isn't misapplication. Here's the other thing, too, that is not talked about that I think is as equally important, if not greater importance, is the amount of tillage, runoff, and erosion, or, or the amount of tillage and erosion that's leading to runoff and thus waterway contamination of these products because as we all know the fastest way to deposit a shitload of phosphorus in a waterway is not necessarily just by over application because once phosphorus is in soil it's relatively stable where you get into trouble is if you face a significant amount of erosion erosion is a much greater contributed contributor to contaminated waterways than fertilizer application is, according to the statistics that I have analyzed. So, gentlemen, after taking a look at this, um, I want to do a deep dive on this in particular. We don't have to get into it today. Uh, But I'm curious. Y'all got any hot takes on this or what? Uh, Okay, so it's it's not an uncommon situation here in the Midwest, right? Uh, And Ohio went through this, so gosh, oh, 10 years ago now, something like that, where uh, there's a particular river basin, the Maumee River, which is in northwest Ohio, and primarily agricultural country, 
like leading up to it and then the mouth of the mommy uh dumps into the lake into lake erie at uh, toledo so there was a number of finger a number of instances of finger pointing back and forth as the river became more and more polluted and the waterways coming down through there uh became more and more compromised and you know so it was several things right so this all kind of came to a head and i know i've talked about it here on this show before where oh gosh again 10 or so years ago in the middle of summer the city of Toledo, right, probably the fifth or sixth largest city in Ohio, literally uh, had to shut down drinking water, right, municipal drinking water, because they couldn't pull from the lake because there was so much algae and cyanobacteria in the lake at their intakes that they couldn't do it. It wasn't safe, okay? So uh, it's an ongoing issue here, and the manure is definitely a part of it, right? The, the way that uh, folks fertilize and things like that, the four R's, right, have become a big deal in what uh, farmers here in particular are doing, right? And they caught a bad rap. I mean, they definitely caught a bad rap. It's also changed, uh, you know, practices with reduced with reduced tillage, uh, like you were saying, right? And the other piece that nobody has been willing to admit, although they've been changing it because of uh, federal regulations, right, is, uh, Ray, combined storm sewers. And I'm not saying that that's the only thing, and that's not to say that, it's surpassing uh, what could or can ha- has been done or has been done right by fertilizers. But the whole point is to say is that there's a lot of stuff, a lot of bad stuff that ends up in the waterways, and particularly when it comes to phosphorus, right, there are a number of ways that that takes place, and it's not just fertilizer. However, we got to do a better job, right? And we all need to do a better job. So what do you think? Well, what I what I think is... Overall, everybody needs to be cognizant of what's called non-point source pollution. And that includes runoff, that includes erosion, and oddly enough, uh, big sources of soil erosion include, get this one, mismanaged farm fields and also mismanaged turf grass areas. And by the way, there is one more thing that I like to look at regarding phosphorus and nitrogen pollution of waterways. And you know what that is, Ryan? What's that? Tree leaves. Good point. You know the leaf litter? Good point. There's actually... Go ahead. ahead. I got got something to say that too. Go ahead. Created by, you know... The, the, the street trees. Uh, here's my nightmare scenario. When that tree drops its leaves and then the leaf litter washes down into the waterways. And when I see that, I'm thinking immediately of all the nitrates and phosphates that are present in that leaf litter that then makes its way into bodies of water. And when I see that happening, I am thinking, what genius prescribed that there be trees planted where the leaves will fall and then wash into the waterways? Uh, landscape architect. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I gotta mute myself. <laughs> well, but 
and and it's like it's like an inevitable thing and there's actually a lot of uh there was a round of funding that was put out i want to say by usda i think uh mm-hmm. a couple of years ago now i'm not sure what happened with it but that they were actively seeking researchers that wanted to take on water quality projects like that like to understand what is the impact between you know bagging your leaves right versus mulching your leaves versus just whatever happens to you know your leaves in a urban or suburban environment right mm-hmm. uh, particularly areas that have storm sewers that drain to waterways i mean it's one thing you know if you've got uh you know you you have a one or two acre lot that's surrounded by you know nothing but farm fields that's a little bit different story in terms of the way the water moves off your property and the filters that it goes through before it gets there versus you know where i'm at and there's you know six storm sewers within 300 feet of my house and any which one of them would go down to the river that's close by right that's that's pretty close that's going to be uh, a problem and so i think i think the whole thing is you got to be responsible with what you do you have to be practical and thoughtful and here is the biggest takeaway from this message gentlemen is that we are the low-hanging fruit we are the easy target and i'll say that with farmers too farmers and turf and mm-hmm. we've seen this in ohio that that the uh agriculture and horticulture industry has industries rather have taken the brunt of this while in the background other stuff is taking place to mitigate some of the issues that were already known but outwardly this it's expressed that hey we're the problem and we're dealing with those troublemakers and that that's because, that's well, i think where it's going to head i think it's how it's going to go yeah because i'm going to tell you right now if i were god the first thing that would go away would be trees that had the potential to drop their trash into drains that enter waterways that would be the first thing that i'd have gone likewise I'd think very hard about grass areas that are close to waterways. Like, for example, I would not want grass that had to be maintained or even mowed near a waterway. And because do you know what else? Uh, The city and county of Honolulu, for example, gets on people's asses about all the time did you know that it is even illegal to have grass clippings go down a waterway yeah it is illegal in honolulu in honolulu but same here okay but but okay i'm gonna ask who the fuck put a turf area next to a waterway who the fuck did that why you know, uh, for everybody considering uh, cleaning out the underside of their mower deck on top of the drain because it disappears into Never Everland, just remember that all of that shit comes pointing back to us. Um, gentlemen, do you have your <laughs> oh. tinfoil ready? Um, because if you yeah, don't, yeah. it's it's time to go ahead and pull it out because we have another force majeure. Dum, dum, dum. This time... Coming out of where? Oh, Belarus. And in terms of potash production, Belarus is number three in the world. 
Uh, and basically what has happened is, is Belarus said, we are not going to be able to meet our contracts due to sanctions from the U.S. and Europe. Um, this is an unprecedented situation in the potash market, CRU Group analyst Humphrey Knight said by phone. It could take many months, if not longer, for that supply to recover. Uh, Belarus exports about 10 to 12 million tons annually, according to Green Markets data. Global potash contracts have settled at the highest price since 2008, ensuring another year of pricey inputs for farmers and strong earnings for producers. Uh, U.S. sanctions on Belarus eliminated a key competitor with no readily available alternative supplier because we are on fucking top of it. The sanctions may result in shifting trade flows and some demand rationing. Nutrient Interim CEO uh, Ken Seitz said in an interview, customers who have historically produced from Belarus are trying to secure supplies elsewhere. For example, Russia's doubling fertilizer quantities offered to Brazil. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro said during an interview with Radio Jovem Pan Thursday. Um, and it goes on and on. We're not standing around saying we're not doing anything, Seitz said. We heard that before last week. Uh, we've definitely got a plan uh, in place. Nutrient anticipates global potash shipments will be between 68 million tons and 71 million tons in 2022. We'll see. Uh, Nutrient is now in the driver's seat for how high potash prices go this year. That does not make me feel comfortable at all um, because wasn't Nutrient already in tight supply because they had sodium chloride contamination <laughs> in one of their, one of their, uh, 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 one of their mines and weren't they already only operating at like 40% capacity or something due to sodium chloride yeah. contamination in one of their mines mm -hmm. or something of the sort. And now the world, the weight of the potash world falls, well, at least in the, uh, in, in Western countries now falls on nutrient. We'll see how this shakes out. And I hate to say this, but I have uh, this much and I'm signaling the hand, uh, a signal for zero, um, faith in, uh, in in relying upon a single sole source provider of potash. And it's nothing against Nutrien. It's just from purely a, an economic and business standpoint, you never have just one supplier. There always has to be a contingency plan. And uh, right now, there's no redundancy. They own uh, basically the monopoly of Western Potash. And there ain't a damn thing we can do about it except ride the lightning and figure out what the hell shakes out on the other side. And to be honest, be honest, the fact that we're even in this situation relying upon one owner of all the mines in North America is fucking embarrassing to begin with. So, well, boys, are we ever going to be able to afford potash again? Because this year ain't it. That's for sure. Can I tell you how what you everything that you just said and tell you how it's worse than you actually know? Sure. <laughs> that that gave wait. me the warmer that made me gave me the warmer fuzzies. So the the way that this force majeure shook out, right, was uh who is it? Uh, Lithuania, right? That is on the border yes. of Belarus, and that's where the port is, right? So all yes. the trains for the national company in Belarus that sends this stuff right across and into the ports and then sends it out through Europe and everything, everywhere else. Right. Lithuania said, nah, you're not doing it anymore. We're not going to let you do it. So they gave up a huge cash cow and they're about to get sued in international court 
for basically breaching their contract, right? To both haul that and then take it to port and ship it out into the free market. So that's one thing, right? So you basically have two countries that are neighboring. One has easier port access. Belarus has none. They have to ship it north. So guess who owns the rights now to get that stuff to port? Oh, tell me, Big Ryan. Lay it on me thick like a horse in a stable. <laughs> hey, it's getting it's getting rowdy in here. You have to pay extra for that. Um, so <laughs> Big Vlad is now in charge of that stuff. Yay! Oh, yes, oh. man. Oh, so yeah. He'll control getting that stuff into St. Petersburg so it can get sent out to wherever it needs to go, right? And as a result, that means that he can squeeze Europe. And that, in turn, means that Europe will need to go to Canada, right, and China and other places to get help because it's not necessarily in Vlad's best interest to send everything out where he uh, or they, that the buyers, may or may not need it. So, yeah, it's going to get a little squirrely there for a while, for the foreseeable future. Man, I mean, just we we talk about the dominoes. We talk about the dominoes. This right here is this is like typing in. This is big time. This is big time. This is typing into YouTube the world's largest domino, whatever you call it, uh, fall. What is it called where you line up the dominoes and you knock one down and it just goes and goes and goes and they do all these cool things where it knocks over a ball and a. A cue ball hits a rat cage that spins in a circle oh, that they, pours a beer down got, a funnel. That's, and, a, that's called 2022. That's just the domino effect. That's just the domino effect <laughs> domino right effect. there. <laughs> yeah, that's just the domino effect. And uh, we are unfortunately living in that. And the reason why we're living in that is because we have placed too much trust in others. And well, and there's, because... there's only so many places you can get it from. It's just that whole idea, right? That, that, that it's just letting the free market work itself out and cap, you know, whatever capitalism, you can say whatever you want, positive, negative. The whole point is that these aren't like commodities, like to where, Hey, eh, if we have, them, we don't, you know, great. If we don't, we don't. Right. This is literally has everything to do with food security, right? Let's just start there. Who gives a shit if you know you're, uh, you know, you want to put some fucking stress blend out or some shit, right? Links mm-hmm. in the description below. Uh, but yeah, it is. Uh, it's gonna get. <laughs> it's gonna get sporty. It's gonna get real sporty. It is, and it's a. It's one hell of a leverage tool that uh, old Vlad has now in his favor in the midst of uh, whatever is going on over there. One day you turn on the news and they're like, "Nope, we're not actually going to war." And then the next day you turn it on and they're like, "Yep, they're going to war on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday consecutively." It's an odd thing. <laughs> or, um, or Matt, no need go to war. You just uh, shut off the potash and you shut off the natural gas, and the rest of the world starves. As easy as yep. that. You don't you don't need to fire a shot or roll out the tanks. You just shut off the things that make the world go. 
well, simple. You know, yeah. and, and, and again, uh, and I'm, I'm going to point the, the finger at the United States in this particular scenario of allowing the monopolization of commodities. And, uh, and we have allowed that to happen over uh, decades. It's not something that just happened immediately. It's happened over decades and everybody's watched it happen and everybody sat silent on it and was like, oh, it won't be that bad. It can't be that bad. We still have foreign and not only imports. That, we still have this. And, and now and not it only is. That, Matt, it's that bad. And not only that, Matt, the reason why this was okay is because I'm always talking about the export of industries and commodities, right? I'm always talking about how we in the United States and Western Europe like to export certain industries out. Like, we don't want to do that here, but it's okay as long as it's done, say, in former Soviet Union or China or whatever. It's okay if it happens there because it's dirty. However, those dirty disgusting, non-politically correct industries are essential to our well-being. And to export control of that to some foreign power that can then shut that off when they want to. I mean, talk about an insecure position to be in. <laughs> uh, yes, like the force majeure on glyphosate, now force majeure on uh, on uh, uh, potash. potash. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. Um, now, the good news is, is that Bayer is... Bayer's got a new herbicide coming out, and uh, and I love this press release on it coming by 2030. And I I laugh <laughs> about that, but there's a reason why. You know, in order for an herbicide to make it to my, a pesticide in general, so I'm talking about all classes, anything that ends inside, in order for it to make it to market is a decade. And I can't remember. I looked up the cost. And I believe if you put it through the entire round of of uh, testing, it's somewhere around twenty million dollars. Oh, it's and more than uh, that. and you need decades of testing of you know injecting it into a rabbit's eyeball to watch if it melts or whatnot, and all this bizarre <laughs> ass testing. I mean, it's crazy all the different kinds of testing they have to do. You know, establish LD fifties <laughs> and you know mammalian testing and all that. So. It's a uh, it's a crazy thing, but the good news is is that maybe uh, by the time we're ready to retire, we'll have a new active ingredient on the market. So that's exciting. Uh, now, something that is a little bit more recent is that there is a new uh, uh, product in the soybean space, and what's <laughs> kind of exciting, kind of not. I was actually excited when I read it because this is uh, Tindovo is the is the new product and. Uh, what's interesting here is they actually state that uh, they are attacking weeds at three sites of action, right? And we all know from an herbicide resistance standpoint, two and a half modes of action uh, is 83 times less likely to develop resistance. And here we have a product that targets three sites of action. Well, looking at the label of this, we are combining, uh, we are recycling old uh, herbicides and calling them new. So this is a combination of uh, uh, metallochlor, uh, metribuzin, and uh, chloransalam. So, uh, mm. you know, kind of an odd ALS inhibitor, um, uh, metribuzin, which is in the same family as simazine, and then uh, metallochlor. So 
not exactly anything new or novel there, but as far as a uh, combination product, it at least does utilize three modes of action there. So, hey, well, that's, maybe that's we'll great. get something in turf one day like uh, that too. Well, I was going to say there's there's a lot of products that you see like this repackaged. Well, here's I know the thing, it's Matt. Oh, go ahead. Here's the thing, Matt. Is that okay? Metallochlor, that's pennant magnum. Yep. Uh, Metribuzin, that's Syncor DF. Yep. And Clorenzolam, my understanding is is that, you know, in Europe, especially I believe in, uh, I think, the UK and Germany, they're using Clorenzolam for weed control and turf grass already. Hmm. But, yeah. So this this is nothing new, but the whole concept of utilizing optimized tank mixes is probably the way to go. Because, you know, I've been doing that for years in that I've been finding these optimal tank mixes that get things done, you know. That's basically been the story of my career. Yeah, and and you have to you have to play along here. I know that this is sort of one of those things too. Like you know, Matt, I've heard you com- complain about it. I've complained about it in the golf space before, but where you have somebody, you know, a manufacturer coming in and saying, "Hey, look at this! It's new," and it's like, no, it's really not. You've just packaged a bunch of stuff together and. You know, I think that's that's probably one of the things that people need to be really clued in on, uh, among other things. And, you know, the other thing here, too, is uh, with this uh, coming in 2030, there's probably going to be about six, seven Kentucky Derby winners that are coming in 2032, Matt. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> they may be winning, but it's not going to be at my hands, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> I'll... I'll, I'll I'll let old gal in the uh, in the Instagram video take control of that because boy she took control like she meant it. I am blushing like embarrassed even bringing that back up to me to be honest. Uh, this week our show is brought to you by our patrons. Patrons, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to have these types of conversations and to grow up a little bit more each week. There are certain things I've learned about the world in today's pre-show that I'm not sure I actually needed to learn. and uh, But the fact that I did it exposed me to another aspect of life that I would, I'll gladly die never participating in. And all of that <laughs> exists because of you and why we are so grateful for you. Uh, don't forget, at 69 patrons, I will be reintegrated back into society as a normal human being, or at least attempt to. And uh, we'll see how all that plays out because, I don't know, I kind of enjoy the space I live in. And uh, <sighs> it's getting real, Matt. It's getting it is real. getting real. It's getting real effing close, and I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, speaking of nervous, gentlemen, let's check on the Itchy Bernie thing from Sheila real quick on this week's Burns. Yeah, yeah, that that was itchy burning. That was right. uh, 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 no, that was that was her coming down the back stretch of the Belmont. Anyway, 
<laughs> Yikes. Oh, <laughs> 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 Um. I don't. <laughs> I. Yeah. I. Damn it, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I can I I may do these articles out of order to put a little bit of a buffer between one and the other. Okay. Actually, yeah, yes, take, let me do that because the, one of them is about a 13-year-old. So, I'm going to I'm going to start with the second one and we'll talk about oh, this one first. Okay. Okay. Sure. <laughs> really buffer There's, that out. There I'm, is I'm something up. There was something about the horse talk that just didn't feel right going in to the one with <laughs> Someone who's underage. Um, <laughs> what we saw in Oklahoma has now been extended to Missouri and Kansas. And again, this is falling underneath that EPA Endangered Species Act, right? Uh, in, uh, farmers may need to find a new form of herbicide for the coming year. The EPA is preventing use of the Enlist One and Enlist Duo herbicides. It will affect 10 counties across Kansas, including Labette, Montgomery, Neosho, and Cherokee counties in southeast Kansas. The decision was made to help protect endangered species like the bearing beetle, which are native to the area. First thing producers are going to need to do this year whenever they plant their soybean is make sure they start out with a clean field, whether it's through tillage or a burned down herbicide. We highly recommend putting a pre-plant herbicide down or a pre-emerge herbicide down as they plant soybeans or right before they plant soybeans and then coming back later with another post-emergent herbicide. Other then enlist. Five counties in Missouri are also affected by the decision. Barton, Bates, Cedar, St. Clair, and Vernon counties. So interestingly here, we're seeing bans on herbicides according to the label at the county label. This is interesting now that we're seeing it out of one state into three states across multiple random ass counties and states. And the reason why I think it's so interesting and worthy of conversation is it's one thing to apply these restrictions on a county label. It's another when it comes time to enforcement and also education. So that way we don't have farmers or lawn care operators in, uh, in what's coming down the pike as well, making applications incorrectly purely because they simply didn't know of the new restrictions related to the herbicide. I could see this happening really, really uh, quickly and entrapping someone who just did not know uh, because you can't disseminate the information fast enough to the appropriate people. Because I don't think the labels are going to be print, uh, printed with county level restrictions on them. So is there a new database or person you reach out to to find out in my county, can I apply this herbicide now? Does that exist? How are they going about I that? Don't, I don't think so. And for the listeners, uh, what Enlist herbicide is, is Enlist herbicide is a 2,4-D choline formulation that is intended for use on 2,4-D tolerant soybean and cotton, for example. That's what Enlist uh, herbicide is used for. Now, this is where it also becomes problematic because essentially you are applying 
24D midseason and probably next door to crops and areas that don't contain 24D tolerant crops. So I've said it at the inception of this new technology in that I had extremely mixed feelings about introducing dicamba tolerant crops and 24D tolerant crops for this very reason. Uh, it's, it's tricky. Gonna... Yeah, I was going to say it's going to be tricky because how do you know? And I think that's the thing is as this other endangered species stuff comes down the pike, right? In terms of, because, you know, I think we read it on here, guys, is the, you know, the next uh, batch of, of products and, and actives they're going to look at are kind of the ones you'd expect them to look at, right? So it's the neonics, right? The phenoxies, right? All the sort of the heavy hitters. And I think you're going to see more and more of this. And so it's going to be even more confusing, I guess, in the sense of like, hey, you can use this active here in this county, but you can't use this other one or vice versa. And I think that is where it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be challenging. Very, very challenging. It is. For and sure. I what I hope never happens is someone innocently gets made an example out of because of some bureaucrat that um, sees an opportunity to make an example out of someone and absolutely destroys their livelihood. And I hate to say I guarantee it's going to happen, but I guarantee it's going to happen to someone at some point. Um. Leavenworth man previously sentenced for stealing a child's lawnmower also stole an ATV. There is a special place in hell for this piece of shit. Um, a Leavenworth man who was convicted for stealing a child's lawnmower whose community raised the money to donate it to him after a previous lawnmower incident resulted in the child losing his leg has now Jeez. been sentenced for stealing an ATV. He was sentenced to a year of probation after stealing the lawnmower along with 60 days in jail and twelve hundred seventy dollars in restitution. What? Wait. He was sentenced to a year of probation and sixty days in jail and a twelve hundred and seventy dollar restitution fine for stealing a lawnmower from a kid who had oh. the money raised for him after a previous lawnmower incident chopped his fucking leg off. God. I, what a what kind of Oh man, you got to be kidding me! They gave this Some guy two may... months in jail and a year of probation and a thousand dollar fine for being peak fucking scumbag. Gee, I mean, I, I think in some cases, this is the one time when I think Saudi Arabia has got it oh, right. God. Where, <laughs> yep, I mean, Saudi right Arabia live. Right. Yeah, no, 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 no. You can you can live. You just don't need hands anymore. Hey, see, yeah, it's like, hey, we tied it all. Listen, you know we what? tied it all together, Mister Hands. You know what? All right, keep going. <laughs> for some for some people, I mean, they are just in incapable of rehabilitation. And you know what? It's obvious to me that he's on probation, and he goes, he does it again. He does it again, maybe not to the same kid, but then he does it again because he stole someone's ATV. And damn it, I mean, 
if that's the case, you know what, Brian? I'll make a concession. Yeah. The the what guy doesn't lose lose his hand. You know what he loses? Mm-hmm. He loses a leg. Oh. He loses a leg. <laughs> oh, man. Okay? Leg for a leg, I mean, eye I'll, for an I'll eye. Sh- yeah, I'll, I'll show up with the damn saw, okay? Just lob that thing off. I mean, you ain't. You ain't stealing an ATV or a motor. This anymore. segment brought to you by the Geo Ripper, <laughs> removing men's legs nationwide that steal from children that had their legs removed. What? 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 It's it's crazy. Now, after he steals the ATV, he got ten months in the Department of Corrections, so he'll serve what six months, something like that. Um, yeah. Uh, but then, but, but you know, else? he got out. He just got sentenced for stealing the lawnmower in October of 2021, and now he's already out stealing again. And I'm like, come yeah. on. Come on. You you know you know what, Matt? That that is what I mean by what is it gonna take to get this guy to stop <clears throat> taking what isn't his? I mean, if what, it's a, it if it's to, some eighteen year old kid, seventeen year old kid, you know, you make a mistake, you learn from it, you know, you think things go on. This guy's fifty nine years old. You know, at fifty nine, you understand what you're doing when you steal a lawnmower. Yeah. When you're when you're 16 years old, you know, you think you're invincible, the world doesn't apply to you. you know, there's a lot of you're, you're shit going on kid, hormonally. Right? Yeah, you're a Pre- dumb pu- kid. Puberty's got you all fucked up. But this is a grown ass <laughs> man. And uh mm-hmm. and and he honestly needs he he honestly needs the Mr. Hands treatment. Uh uh there you go. <laughs> hey, listen. I'm going to get involved in that. Um according to what I learned here earlier tonight, uh, all that it takes is uh, some strong arms and wearing a polo shirt. So, you know, <laughs> get that. Grip it and rip it. Gentlemen, let's check out this week's returns. Uh, John Deere announces the next generation sprayer for in-season herbicide application. And I got to say, this is pretty damn cool. Uh, here are what farmers are saying about their first experience with the next generation of see and spray sprayer from John Deere. Using an advanced camera, sensor, and nozzle control technology, the company says it's taking targeted in-season herbicide application to another level. Less herbicide, less cost, and more sustainability. That's the ultimate weed management, and it's here, John Deere says. And, of course, they have some videos for you to check out. I have been a gigantic, it's everybody, uh, not not just me, myself. Uh, I have been a gigantic fan and a, a fan girling over precision agriculture for a long time. And it started back, actually, when I was um, uh, just a wheat chap, new to the industry, because I wanted to go work for a precision agriculture company because I thought it was Ooh. so unbelievably cool. And I can't remember the name of that company. They were a, uh, um, uh, who does the big blue, the big blue, uh, ag machines. Um, what New is Holland? the name of that brand? New Holland. New Holland. New Holland. It was a New Holland New dealer Holland. and they had their own deal. And I want to say it was called like the Viper system was the, was the name of their, uh, precision ag system. And, and I was fascinated by it, especially, you know, being a, uh, an applicator at that point uh, and seeing that. I just thought it was so unbelievably cool. But here, and I say a lot of this has to do with the fact that uh, uh, optic systems have become so advanced uh, over the last few years. Now, all of a sudden, we uh, we can apply a sea and spray, a spot and spray 
uh, uh, type of application. Matt? And this is the next frontier of precision ag. And kudos to John Deere. Matt, Matt this is actually not that new, although it's been automated, because guess how, for example, cotton fields used to be sprayed for weeds back in the uh, 1960s. Wicking or you you out there with the backpack sprayer or spotting spraying? Neither. What they do is they set up a boom over the rows of cotton with guys standing on top of that boom with a handgun and clumps of wow. Johnson grass would get would get, for example, a, a dose of MSMA from the handgun. Jeez. They they wouldn't broadcast spray it, but they would directly spray each clump of grass and that 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 was done in another time when i guess weed control wasn't as sophisticated you know you'd have a a crew of guys standing on top of a boom the tractor would be driving over the field and they would just be playing target practice with the weeds well, you know, with the the labor situation in the United States, you know, there's no doubt about it. Robots are uh, the thing uh, that's coming in, and mm -hmm. you know, I can tell you from an employer standpoint, the appeal of robots are that they don't call in sick. Um, you know, mm -hmm. they, uh, I, you know, they they don't they don't take days off, and uh, they don't stick their hands in pieces of equipment for uh, pain medication <laughs> and all the other crazy <laughs> things that you encounter. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, I, you know, I had someone say that he could get $10,000 for a finger. Um, and, and, and these things keep you awake at night. You know what I mean? Especially when you're, when you're a, a fledgling startup and, you know, someone says that and you're like, oh my gosh, I employ this person and he's so desperate for money. And, uh, and what's bad is By that the way, when they're making fired. more money than you are, when they're making more money than you are, and they're still willing to cut their finger off for 10 grand is amazing. I don't know, um, but kudos to them for pioneering this kind of technology because it is um, it is pretty fascinating. Um, so, gentlemen, let's check out. For, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say we'll check out the mailbag. We got a pretty oh, interesting yeah, one. Yeah. You've got mail. We do have mail. It's not from Mr. Hands. I promise you that. Uh, <laughs> hey, all, I always appreciate the help in the Discord and tune in when I can. I think my recent soil test is fairly straightforward, but would appreciate some input. Uh, if there are specific subvert products you would recommend or micros, I would appreciate it. Uh, you don't need to worry about that. Uh, lawn is all rotary mode, Bermuda front, tiff, -tied side, uh, tiff tough side, 8,000 square feet, uh, and turf at tall fescue backyard, uh, Lebanon turf, four seed blend, live in North Carolina. I spray and spread, have access to southern states for reasonably priced uh, granular options, 111 and other combos available, and some fungicides like Armada. Uh, I spray subvert products when necessary. Rake keeps me in line to not overdo stuff. Uh, peptides in particular. Uh, I felt like I had great uh, results with prefix last year. Long matured faster from a fall over seed. Pre-emergent. Uh, thanks for the help. I'm sure I forgot something. And he sent us his, uh, I, I hate talking about subvert products. I feel like it's, it's too shilling. Um, and here he brings up uh, his soil test. So we'll take a look at this and make some recommendations. And I'm not going to recommend a single suburb product. It's a matter of Kaji. Sorry. Um, let me see here. All right. We got uh, some decent organic matter in the back. We get a little. How about that? How about that phosphorus? 
How about that? Okay. Where where are we at? Where is phosphorus on this thing? Top row. Baylor three phosphorus. E and R. Oh, 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 oh. I see. They they got it on. Whoa. Whoa. Gentlemen. (laughs) We have we have not just um gone below. Is that is that superseded? Hyperseded? What is that? What is the appropriate um word to say that? I can't, I can't remember. Exceeded would be, you know, you go over. I can't remember what it is when you go under. Not just MLSN, but also, um, uh, what's his name? Who is at uh, University of Kentucky and University of Florida? Uh, oh, no. Shaddix. Shaddix. Uh, Shaddix is going below. Shaddix um, established turf five parts per million um, level here. These are in line with some of the lowest P levels I've ever seen for a Malik 3. Yeah. Well, and it's going to be pretty okay. accurate too on uh pH of 5.7 soil. So this is real deal. Yeah, here, where please. where the hell is the P- Okay, here's pH. Yeah, look at the yeah, calcium 5. levels. 7. Wow. Mm-hmm. We're at 5.7. MLSN levels of calcium. I've never seen that As before well. either. As well. That's pretty Any... fascinating. Mhm. The we, we normally we normally don't get to hear Sandy from people soil. that have mm-hmm. you know this Sandy kind of pH, but if it's sandy, in fact sandy soil, this is a blessing in a way because in order to amend a mostly sand soil, you don't need to hammer it as much I heard as that you, you would with a clay. With I, clay I thought soils. you had to pre-feed the soil with all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. to, to, to wake yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, you, you have to wake up what? the microbial activity. Yes, you got to yeah, wake up. Yeah. That's right. I heard that. You have to wake up the microbial activity. I mean, that's... I have heard that, but then putting all the bullshit aside, all that's needed <laughs> here is calcium, high calcium lime, calcitic lime, yep. uh... I would even start to look at a one-one-one type of a fertilizer program at least during sure. the first year, and then reevaluate my program after going through one-one-one for the year, and then see where you're at in 2023. Because a, little, a year, little, yeah, just bump up your our phosphorus a little bit. And continue to supply the potassium because I foresee the point where you can back away from the phosphorus and then simply supply replacement amounts of nitrogen and potassium to the turf. And continue to monitor monitor your pH after an in- initial bolus of uh, 50 pounds of high calcium lime per thousand square foot this year. You get this gentleman a good spray rig and uh, turn him loose with some cow nitrate. That's where I'd be, just for Ooh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Ju- well, cow nitrate is a real light a fire under the grass's ass kind of a treatment. Yeah, I, I know. A I mean, I, I, tenth of a pound. No, tenth I, of a pound every now and no, again. I've, I, I've used calcium nitrate, and that's how I treat turf grass growing on acidic soil it's like your nitrogen is coming from cal nitrate <laughs> and your potassium is coming from potassium nitrate 
It's like send it. <laughs> send it. Hey, this I'll tell you what this does <laughs> though, gentlemen. This gets me excited mm-hmm. to get into uh soil test season. We're we're about to go on a pretty Ooh. good good run here with mm. our, our, our guest coming up on uh Thirsty Thursday. Uh I'm I'm excited mm. for this. Start ripping yeah. through some of them. Uh, we are going to have to do a couple of those shows where we just hammer through soil test a couple yes. of times, um, yeah. because it, yeah. it, that is, that is a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Jake, I hope we answered all your questions there. It, it this year applying to one, one, one makes absolutely perfect sense in Lyman, Lyman the hell out of it. Um, and then if you want to trick it up, like if you need, you know, a little, a little bit of that, that hot wallop kind of sort of thing there. Uh, an application of calcium nitrate would do you well. Um, and you know, you, you can, if, if you want an additional color bump in between fertilizer applications, and you want to go spray some foliar micronutrients, you're not going to hurt anything by doing that, but just understand that you, you are, it's, it's a temporary, it's a temporary, like it's a temporary color response, uh, not necessarily anything that you're providing some huge agronomic value by doing. So how about them apples? Uh, boys, on Thursday, are y'all aware of what's coming up? Please inform me, Matt. We have a brand new applicator, recently passed his test, uh, oh, has been boy. has been studying for a couple years now, planning, strategizing, business strategizing, all kinds of fun stuff to get ready for the big day to launch into a parallel career in the green industry. We have To Ooh. the Roots Lawn Care on Thirsty Thursday. I'm excited. Ooh. That should be fun. Oh, I am too. That is this gonna is going to be a good one. That's going to be super fun. That's going to be super fun because, yeah, if there's some things that I like, like dealing with, it's brand new applicators that are like literally new to the business to where we just uh how shall i say we just uh make a difference <laughs> well don't worry he he came in town and already gave him the pep talk of whatever you do don't get into this industry and uh he still decided <laughs> to stick with it i'm just kidding <laughs> i didn't have that conversation we had we had a very good one so i think it's going to be very productive from uh from what, what we get to bring to the table here gentlemen it's been real we will catch y'all on Thursday. Now we're going to the show after the show to hang out with our patrons and pick this week's title. See.